You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM, and this is Media on the Radio. Hey, everybody. I'm very excited about this new series I'm doing on nonprofit fundraising. But if you're interested in binge listening, right now, currently, if you're listening to one of them, all of them exist on my website, waitwhatpro.com. So you can go to waitwhatpro.com very easily, find a link to all episodes pertaining to nonprofit fundraising. And I'm hoping to continue this series as time goes on and as I find relevant topics to share and to contribute to the conversation. Really important conversation about engaging different generations in fundraising. Um, If you're part of a kind of a legacy organization that's been around 50 plus years, um, you definitely are probably having this conversation about how to engage younger millennial or even younger than millennial donors. Gabrielle talks about the challenges within that as well as um, ways in which you can kind of get some people involved in your organization. Maybe they aren't giving uh, large sums of money or even any money at all, but other ways to engage them and get them mobilized. I've been a professional fundraising and development professional for, you know, for the last, you know, 10, 10 plus years and have really been able to run the gamut of everything from uh, individual fundraising to direct mail campaigns, special events, um, millennial engagement, which I know we'll talk more about, um, to, you know, running large scale, large scale events, board leadership development, I've seen a lot of growth and interesting things that have happened over the last decade. The big idea that we want to talk about is this idea of getting millennials engaged in fundraising. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know the misconceptions or the, perce- I, I know my, what my perception is of it, um, but I'm curious to know if, if there's data or if, if you would be able to talk about, um, because from the way I see it is, you know, my, my dad's a baby boomer and he gives to about 10 different organizations. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of his his faith has probably informed that to a certain degree, um, but he's really engaged in it, and he's retired, so he has some time to, to, sure. to investigate. <laughs> sure. But I see that across, you know, other baby boomers, that family members and other people mm-hmm. that I know, and there seems to be a disconnect with millennials in how, and maybe it's more about how they give. I love all things generational, and I truly have, my philosophy is that there's life stage and generational incapacity. So you kind of have three prongs as, as someone's giving. Um, and just again, for some context in terms of generations, um, you know, I think some people are confused about who's a millennial. Who's a millennial? What does that mean? <laughs> what is Gen Y? And I, and I know that I've kind of dealt with this because I'm the oldest of this generation. Um, but basically, a millennial first is characterized as anyone that is born between I don't know, 1980 to 2005, some say 1982. Um, And there's this wonderful theorist here in Washington, D.C. His name is Neil Howe, and he runs a firm called Life Course Associates. He actually wrote, has a whole history of generations going all the way back to the Arthurian age. And so he actually can characterize generations. And so the millennial generation, interestingly, is considered a hero generation. So there's a lot, and there's different, like, you know, characteristics. So what's really interesting about that is that with the hero generation is characterized as selfless, as rational, as competent, but also on the negative side, they can sometimes be unreflective, um, mechanistic, and or overbold. So I think that sometimes when we're looking at the different generations, we can see millennials as kind of being a little bit knee-jerk in some of these things. But the truth of the matter is, is that 
this generation has been one of the most, you know, has been very engaged and involved. And I think a lot of that has to do with the connectivity with social media. I think a lot of this generation, myself included, grew up in a Pax Romana, if you will, where a lot of things seemed like they were okay, but they knew that it was important to make a difference because the baby boomers, who were the, who a lot of the generation were the activists standing up for the civil rights movement, women's rights against you know Vietnam, really taught the importance of community service. I think the biggest difference between millennials and baby boomers is that baby boomers are very much about giving to the institutions that their parents supported and that was traditionally in their communities. So whether it's, you know, giving to your local Y or whether it's giving to the synagogue or the church. But millennials have a bit of a different perspective. They wanna they 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 look up to their parents, they they feel they respect their parents, but they want to have their own way to engage and very much it can be of the moment with causes. Um, so what's really interesting is that there's this great um, consulting firm out in Indi Indiana at the Indiana University School of Philanthropy and Derek Feldman is the CEO of this company called Achieve. I highly recommend looking it up. And he did some really interesting research through the Millennial Impact Study from 2010 until 2015. Um, and you know, a big part of giving for millennials is not just financial involvement, but also volunteer involvement. What can I do? And transparency is really, really important. And again, I think a lot of that actually has to go back to social media and how social media and the awareness of your peers has really, for better or for worse, come, come into it. And so I think that when people say that millennials don't necessarily care about giving, I actually don't think that's true. I just think it's about how they're giving, how they're paying attention, um, and where are they in their life stage. So I think that's a really, that's a really big characteristic that is important to note. That's fascinating. So yeah, yeah we just got a brief history of <laughs> millennial yes. research and fundraising. So that yeah. that does a great job of framing the conversation. Yeah. And so that kind of gets us pretty far in. I wanted to jump back for a second and talk about your experience with the organizations that you've worked for. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, we're not going to mention those organizations by name, but you know, when you're working with an organization that has fifty million dollar budget in a year, um, that's a pretty big org organization. Yes, it is. And then uh, within that budget is a probably a pretty sizable um, budget for uh, you know fundraising, but also communications. When you're looking at a big organization, you know, I've heard that the, the fundraising arm has to be also large, and what, what is that like to work within that? Usually the primary resources dedicated to funding are for principal gifts or large capacity gifts that are going to yield the organization more than it spends. So that's why when people are looking for fundraisers, you'll you know you'll make sure that somebody's portfolio, depending on the size of the organization, you know maybe it will be upwards of gifts of a thousand to five thousand and above, and that's very very important. Um, I think that what has happened is that there was this conception that because young people don't have the same resources to give right away then it wasn't necessarily the time to invest in them because it was kind of a loss leader. Um, and I remember being in the beginning of, you know, of my, you know, of my career working on this and, you know, that there were young people that were really, really interested, but the organization was concerned about the yield for the return from the resources. So mm -hmm. when you're, when you're looking to have a millennial program, um, 
you you have to see the long view. You have to see that you might have somebody who starts out as a $25 donor at 22, but by the time they're 32, they could end up being a $5,000 donor because the arc of your 20s into your 30s is quite long in terms of career. So I think a lot of it's been philosophical, but what I've seen to be really encouraging is that as the millennial generation has gotten older, and you know, I started out as a as a begin the young millennial myself at the time. Now I'm like an old millennial. I'm not you know as relevant anymore, but at the time. I remember having conversations with people saying, why should we invest now? You're, you know, these, this group doesn't have a lot to give. But we had some real visionary supporters that were ending up seeing the long view. So I think a lot of it's about, is the generation that's in charge willing to see, you know, to see behind them in order to look, in order to look forward, to really engage and decide how are they going to allocate the resources? What I have found is that organizations that do not invest in emerging philanthropy programs come to a point where their donor base is aging. A lot of the baby boomers are, you know, reaching that 70 plus mark where they, they're great resources for definitely for time, for planned giving, but they might not be able to have the same kind of active service as they used to. Who's behind, who's behind them? And I think that's where it's really important to have visionary CEOs or you know, resource, heads of resource development to make that happen. And on a, on a broad scale, you know, you're, you're not talking about you know, necessarily social media, but you're talking about a bigger strategic implementation yeah definitely and i've heard this social media is a part of by the way it has to be today right yeah um but but i heard this story and (laughs) unsubstantiated stories that i tell but i heard that the the gardening industry um basically looked back and realized that it had kind of missed the last generation generation Mm -hmm. x or whatever else Mm -hmm. and so my brother's about eight years younger than me and kids younger than them and they've been targeting them really hard Mm -hmm. so that to get them into gardening so that then when they're 30 40 they're actually kind of doing it yes absolutely and it's like a 20-year investment or whatever it is it really really is and i and i think that you know you you get someone involved at 22 and what's interesting about the millennials and the relationship to the baby boomers is that they do want to make their parents proud. You know, they do want to, they do care. And so we've had a lot of parent referrals and you'll actually now have generations that the, you know, the, the kids give because the parents give or they, they succeed them. Um, and so if you can structure your fundraising campaign and your resources that you can have someone that spends even 50% of their time on you know on millennials and of course let's not forget the zeers that are going to be coming up any moment um you we can keep having that pipe are they calling them z's they're z's i know it's generation z generation z and i guess that's anyone born after 2005 um who are are total like beyond digital natives i mean like i still have cassette tapes that i like don't want to throw away you know so like i think they're you know what what, do you know where the z comes from or I guess you know the I guess because we had X Y and Z oh, and millennials sense. are just this kind of I think term that Neil Howe I think Neil Howe and his team actually started to create when they were describing because the the oldest returning the oldest were graduating high school in two thousand so mm. he wrote a really interesting book about that too he's really interesting mm. he he could come on the show yeah yeah he's in D C he's in D C yeah, yeah Virginia that'd yeah. be great yeah uh, cool so what about how millennials give, and I know that I assume 
text is really a big deal and and kind of immediacy. Mm -hmm. I know that there was a there's a concept called the pain of paying, Mm. where you know the delay between or the barriers between getting someone to pay. This is why we love you know Uber and and things Mm -hmm. like that that just make it so seamless. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Is there any thought to that? Yeah. So you know. So I think this Derek out in in Indiana actually had an really interesting um, statistic um, that. Millennials actually really respond to email communication, and that 79 and that um, with 93% of respondents favoring it for receiving information from organizations. So, if you have actually a compelling email just to get started, they definitely might pay attention. Um, and Facebook and print are less valued by donors, interestingly, unless it's done through peer to peer. So it's fascinating that emails, you know, kind of the new direct mail of our time, right? It's very, you know, basic, but people still really do respond to that. Um, I think that being flexible in how you let people give is really important and also setting up staggered giving levels is really important. I found the most success when you really kind of say, here's, there's two or three levels that you can give to. And by the way, you can make these payments monthly. Just put it on your credit card, $30 a month, $83 a month, $100 a month. And someone's like, oh, I spend, you know, ridiculous things on $100 a month I can give. Um, and then also being able to provide it to be a social experience as, as well. It's about, you know, being clear in your communication. Transparency is so important to the millennial generation and really understanding where the money is going. Um, other generations had a lot of trust in institutions. And I think through our experiences over the last 20 years, it it's changed a lot, especially for this generation. So really being able to say, okay, I see what you're doing. It's good work. I see that kid smiling after they receive food. I see, you know, I see how you won that court case. That is meaningful to give. Um, and I, and I think that that's really what's, what's important to show. And, and I guess what, what I was talking about with, uh, the ACLU as well mm-hmm. is they recently had a, 24 or 23 billion or million, the, million dollar they are the uh, envy of all let me tell right, you right right yeah. and that, it is that kind of that spur that kind of viral thing that Absolutely. you can't possibly manufacture you can't um and and i notice even because uh, I, wor- I work with some organizations and i make fundraising videos mm. and that's usually a, a big push to for the video content that i end up getting hired for is you know we need to either have an emotional appeal or some sort of video that is explaining Mm -hmm. the programs. And it's almost where reaching a point where, and I get some pushback from the overly emotional Mm -hmm. side of things, especially for Facebook and and things like that, where it's, Mm -hmm. it's too much, it's, it's oversaturated. And, And it's interesting that you say that email communication is, is successful because I feel like social media is moving so fast. And I, I even do it myself where I'm just scrolling because it's maybe in between a meeting or something like that where I'm just, I'm not even looking at the thing for more than two seconds. You know? Right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think something, you know, can register with you as you're scrolling through um, and the personal appeals I, are always what. I think really so a friend matters. that says share yes. something and makes a note exactly, about it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, when I'm working with host committees for, let's say, an event, 
I'll, you know, I'll write the text for them and say, you know, just send this out to 10 people and work with them on follow up because at the end of the day, you know, people still want to be connected to people. It's just maybe not the same as the phone call that used to be or actually writing, you know, writing a physical letter. Thinking about maybe organizations that, you know, they have their potentially their major gifts set up and they have their and I, I'm even thinking about smaller organizations that are um Serving Meals on Wheels, for example, um, that's that's been in the news a little bit. And, you know, how do you engage young people in in an effort to that that is seen as more to serve elderly, the elderly population? Sure. So I think having a volunteer when you're looking at your volunteer opportunities, really looking at millennials as a great source, especially younger millennials who may not have all the financial resources, but can really be there and give the time. Is, is really, really important. Um, and also seeing things as a social opportunity. One of the things about Facebook, you know, how what Facebook has done is that everything has become about a community, a community and socialization. So that's really looking into it as well. So I think, you know, providing honest direct service opportunities is important. I also think there's no harm in looking at who's donating and actually having the, the, the data about dates of birth. Um, if you are, you know, combing through donations and you see you even have five people that are in, you know, between the ages of, you know, 22 and 32, have someone call them, have it be maybe someone that more focuses on volunteerism rather than necessarily philanthropy right away. If you're concerned, you don't have the development staff, but just by getting those people involved, you will, you will train people to not only be hands-on volunteers, but also start thinking about investing, uh, investing philanthropically. There's talk that, you know, when, when the last of the baby boomers retire, Mm -hmm. there's going to actually be a, a really big, like, what is it, 30% or something like that, where there's going to be a problem where we won't have enough people to fill certain jobs. And so there's been a lot of talk that millennials have been held back to a certain degree Mm -hmm. from from, uh, getting promotions or getting higher income. Um, Do you see that changing or or are you following that at all? Well, you know, I... What I've seen change a lot is that millennial professionals are having more opportunities to get seats at the table, but that the path is not as quick. But I think that what you have is a generation that feels passionate about giving back. And we have so many people who have gone into the sector intentionally, whether it's through social work or the public administration route or, you know, even people who are, you know, working the corporate sector that they want to make sure that they are, have volunteer opportunities. I mean, another interesting statistic just on that note is that 79% of millennial employees who did not participate in a company-wide giving campaign still donated to a cause outside of work. So I actually think you do have this generation that is kind of at the precipice of waiting to, to do more. I definitely think that there's opportunity, and I hope that the outgoing generation, you know, who raised us with aspirations to do good and to, to be good to the world, um, will will you know pass us the torch, you know, pass us the torch, and be glad that they did. And yeah, and it, and it almost seems like there's, at least for the progressive side of things, since there have been some wins, that seems to be, you know, engaging more people mm-hmm. in that. Um. I think with this current, you know, my, my kind of new catchphrase, and this is how I felt while I was watching everything, is that there's no hubris in progress. 
And I think that what this election cycle did and the campaign rhetoric, I, th- I, I think, woke people up to, no, 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 you cannot just, you know, not support something that's important to you because it seems like it's okay. I do think that those who are on the other side, I hope would be open for discourse as well. I think what we saw in this cycle was that that there was so much polarization that how can you get things done? So I'm, I'm hoping that both sides of the generation will want to come together and say, you know what, there's, there's got to be there's got to be a way to have to, to disagree and still and still move forward. And you've had a lot of experience with really big organizations. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if any words of wisdom that can be translated to uh, smaller organizations. There's a lot of startups. Yeah. There's a lot of what we call or and I've, I have a couple of friends that would actually consider themselves um, social entrepreneurs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in doing these kind of small startups and looking for or a lot of film projects or other types of projects that are looking for funding mm-hmm. um, through Kickstarter, crowdfunding or whatever. What would you say like a kind of a, a best practice is for for reaching out to people, engaging people to, to get the best value with their time? Yeah. So I, I think that when before reaching out to any anyone is really knowing what your passion and your purpose is and being authentic with it. Um, just really, you know, saying to someone, you know, oh, I think this is important. I want to do this. That's not, I don't think, the best strategy, but really understanding what matters to you and that you need people with time and talent that also believe in this to support you. So I think that's a really big thing. And that can happen at any size. So I think it's about having the kind of belief in yourself, belief in the mission, and the belief in the work to get people to, to, to buy into that um, in an authentic way. I think that that's really, really important. That's perfect. And then um, what about some advice for people that want to kind of get into this space? Maybe they're in college right now mm-hmm. studying um, political science in in Italian. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what, you know, but they have this inkling or they want to go to Mm -hmm. get their master's degree in in public policy or whatever. Sure. What would you say? So I would say, you know, um, there are two things I've done in my life that I think have been the foundation for everything. I was a waitress all through high school and through college, um, which taught me how to deal with people. So if you're going to go into this um, sector, it's important to understand that there are so many different types of people. And one of my first uh, bosses said to me, you have to meet them where you're at. Um, And I also think getting involved with what's going around in the community that you go to college in is really important. I had an internship uh, my senior year. I went to Binghamton University in upstate New York, where I interned at the city clerk's office. And that gave me a really fascinating perspective on like how does a regular city work day to day who are the people in it and what are the issues that they're dealing with so not to be pie in the sky about it give yourself some real experiences and also don't be afraid to reach out to alumni to use your career center to talk to professors um i am i'm very involved with my university and i am always happy to talk to any young person that wants to talk because i know how much it meant to me well thanks for so much for thank you so much this was so great You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. Again, stay tuned to Media on the Radio on iTunes. Get that that podcast sent directly to your phone as I release more and more of these episodes about nonprofit fundraising, the series that I'm doing. Um, But if you're really curious about all the different episodes that I've done on nonprofit fundraising, you can go directly to my website, waitwhatpro.com. 
www.ethereumpodcast.com and very easily find a link to the whole series. So I've released the whole series as a batch, um, as a binge listen if you want to do that. Check it out and hope you enjoy it.